Welcome to episode 40 of Miles and Pints, the travel and beer podcast. I'm Derek Dye. And I'm Jeff Brownson. And together, we're drinking our way through this amazing world, one pint at a time. Whether you love to travel, you love a cold local beer, or you just can't get enough of either, you're listening to the right podcast. That's what we're here to talk about. Our guest today is Stu Clemens from 60 Seconds with Stu, and more recently, Find My Food Stu. Stu loves to travel the world and find the best food and drinks wherever he goes. He's always up for sharing a pint with friends or strangers, too, so he fits right in with our Travel and Beer podcast. In this episode, we'll talk about his background and how he got to where he is today, a bit about what goes into making the videos that he produces, and what the plan is for his business going forward. Before we get to that interview, though, let's take a minute to thank our regular listeners. Without you, we'd just be talking to ourselves. If you haven't already, click that button to subscribe to the show so you won't miss anything we have coming down the line. And now, let's get to the good part. Sit back, relax, crack open your favorite brew, and enjoy our chat with Stu. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 40 with my friend Stu Clemens. Welcome to the show, Stu. Hey, thanks a lot, Jeff. And of course, with us, as always, is Derek. How are you doing today, Derek? I'm great. Rested and relaxed after a week out in New Mexico. How are you doing? Uh, I had a, a whole lot of driving and a little bit of relaxation and spent the week down in Charlotte. So we both went south. I don't know why, because it's ridiculously warm here already, but uh, it was a lovely week for me, too. Glad to be back. What have you been up to, Stu? Uh, well, you, Derek was just bragging about rest and relaxation. Uh, I have a 20-day-old now, just had a baby newborn girl, and so that is the exact opposite of rest and relaxation. <laughs> But but other than that, everything is fantastic. She's beautiful, healthy, so it's exciting. When I asked you to come on the show and record today, I thought to myself, I wonder if he'll be actually sitting upright. Will he be looking at us like a zombie? Is he going to have any rest at all? But you, I mean, you look pretty good for having what I would guess is almost no sleep. Well, I mean, I'm not bad. I mean, I can only do part of the work, right? I, I can't do the feeding, which is seemingly 75% of the work right now. So I do what I can and I've, I get the easy part. So let's uh, take a step away from having a brand new kid and get into some more talk about beer and travel, which is what we're here for. And we'll start right off with what we're drinking today. So uh, Stu, I'll let you get started. What have you got there in the cup? Yeah, so I'm actually up in Connecticut right now uh, in an Airbnb here. So I am drinking a local Connecticut beer from Two Roads. It's called the Road Jam. So raspberry, blackberries, and a, a hint of lemongrass. It's pretty good. That sounds delicious. Yeah, that sounds like a, a good combination there. Love that you've got something local going on. How about you, Derek? Today I'm going local as well, Jeff. One of my favorites here uh, on the eastern shore of Maryland. Uh, RAR Brewing's Grapefruit Nectar. Uh, their grapefruit spinoff of uh, Nanocoke Nectar, their IPA. So a great summertime sipper, especially when we have that mid-Atlantic humidity like we do now. What are you drinking today, Jeff? I'm going, as as usual, I'm not so local, 
but uh, a beer that <laughs> I was on a quest to get since I found out it existed. And people who know me know that I'm a huge fan of U.S. soccer and, of course, travel and, of course, beer. But when two of those things come together, I get pretty excited. And Harpoon Brewery got together with the Mewis sisters, Sam and Christy Mewis, who play for the U.S. women's national team. And they brewed a beer called Team Mewsa Citrus IPA, brewed with the Mewis sisters. So there was a limited distribution on this beer, and I didn't think I was going to be able to get it. But uh, one of my buddies who met me up in Vermont a couple weeks ago was near a store that had it, and he grabbed a couple of four-packs for me. So I got to try it, and this is actually the last one I have. But it's a it's a very light and a little bit of a citrusy IPA. It's actually really good for the summer as well for this heat. I feel like you need one of those uh, taste like victory memes beside of your head while you're drinking a uh, women's national team beer. Yes, absolutely. Now that we've got that out of the way, uh, I just want to take a minute to mention how Stu and I met or how we know each other, I guess, because it's a... It's an odd story that goes back many years. We actually met in college. We were... Is college odd? Is all, is college odd, Jeff? I mean, it's odd that we're still talking to each other in this, this travel world, I think. Okay, fair enough. Because we didn't go to school for college. I mean, we didn't go, we didn't to, go college to school for travel. I, I went to school for college, mostly for the fun, not so much the classes, but I did go to school for college. I like to think it's more about the classes since I just dropped my son off for college and he starts classes this right. week. So don't be telling me it's all about the fun. I'm going I'm to choose to edit that out of my brain. Hopefully he'll go to those 8 a.m. classes that we did not go to. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. But we met back in college. Um, we were both in fraternities. We ended up at each other's houses a decent amount. We were orientation leaders together. We hung out a little bit. And then fast forward... I don't know, 15 years, and I put a post up saying, hey, does anybody want to go to Oktoberfest on Facebook? And Stu replied and said, yeah, I'll go. And since then, I don't know, we've traveled together three or four times, many different countries, and it's been a blast every time. So I'm excited to have you on the show to talk about what you're doing with travel and with food and all that good stuff. And first off, I think we're going to get a little bit into your background. And that starts with where, where in this world did you grow up? Oh, well, where in the world? Where in the world is roughly five hours north of where I am now in New York City. I grew up just outside Portland, Maine, which has changed a lot. And uh, it's gotten a lot more on the national stage, really, in the last few years for food and drink and everything. Um, but went to a small school just outside. Uh, loved it. Cold in the winters, but fantastic in the summers. And of course, if you ski, it's great all year round. And Derek wouldn't know anything about Portland, right? Uh, I'm slightly obsessed with Portland, Maine. Uh, my wife and I have been going uh, annually since our first visit in 2014. So we went back with Jeff uh, to record a couple of podcast episodes uh, in April of this year. And we have another trip booked already for our annual December trip, so hoping that uh, goes forward. Absolutely love Portland, Maine, and I'm actually jealous that you grew up there and I did not. <laughs> I feel like, where, where are you from, Derek? I feel like I get a little Blake Shelton meets, you know, meets like a, a radio announcer from you here. Yeah, I grew up in Southern Virginia. Uh, okay. I, I speak differently than most people from Portland, Maine. 
you do, but you have a phenomenal <laughs> radio voice. <laughs> Or a podcast voice, I guess I should say. <laughs> and that's why we do a podcast and don't do much video. That's right. We have a face for podcasting. So we mentioned before that we went to school together. Uh, we both went to Worcester Polytechnic Institute. I assume you came away with a degree. I know I did, but I don't remember what yours is in. Yeah, I did. It was the best five years uh, of college that I possibly could have imagined. Some people only go four. Some of us go five. It was great. I have not used my degree, and I don't think we need to get into the, the year we graduated or, or should have graduated, but... <laughs> it was just like two or three years ago, right? Something like that. Yeah, close enough. So you haven't used your degree at all. What did you do once you got out of school? What, did, what was the next step for you? Uh, so while in college, I had done a few things related to television and film and a local sports talk show. I had a couple regional commercials and, and done some other things. So after college, I actually moved to New York City to pursue acting. Uh, so absolutely nothing to do with a chemical engineering degree, had no interest. Um, and I always loved New York City. So that was the, the place for me. So you went to New York City immediately after graduation? Uh, you know, I hung around for six or eight months because, you know, it's really hard to leave, you know, the area and all your <laughs> friends. But I did. It took me a while to pack up. Uh, but I did eventually pack up and I sort of became uh, by city for for a little bit. So I was going back and forth uh, a lot. But I eventually did end up just outside New York City in Hoboken. Uh, and then eventually, uh, you know, when I was a little more used to the, the city life and the 8 million people, whereas, you know, my small town in Maine, I uh, moved into the city, which was, you know, I've never looked back since. And you mentioned that you moved down there to get into to pursue a career in acting. I know you've done some things with that on the, the professional side, but you also have started doing stuff. You, at, at some point you decided that you wanted to get into doing videos on your own, even if you weren't doing it in something produced by someone else. When did you decide to kind of make that move? Uh, yeah. So that, that's, that's a long story that dates back to, you know, really my, my younger days, which we can hit on a little bit later. Uh, but really, I had, after eight or so years of, of struggling, right? And the old joke, the old joke of uh, being an actor is when you tell someone you're an actor, they say, oh, what restaurant do you work in? And, and that was pretty true, right? I had worked at Bartang in Hoboken. I had worked at the Olive Garden in Times Square. I had worked all over. Uh, and eventually, I did go back and get a nine-to-five job, as some people call real jobs, any job's real. I guess it just depends on uh, how you look at it. Uh, but really, you know, like artists or musicians or anyone, I think you always want to do on the side, at least, what you like. And after spending so many years going on to auditions and all this other stuff, and you walk into a casting call and there's 50 other people that look a lot like you. Right. Most of them can probably sing better. Most of them are probably better looking or can dance even or other skills. And nothing is in your own hands. I mean, I guess if you are clear in a way the best, sure, it's in your own hands. But generally speaking, it's up to someone else to decide whether you have a role and whether you will participate or not. And eventually, after I had set aside a little money, I decided I wanted to get back into the arts uh, and the best way to do that is to make your own decisions, 
So it's to create your own content, your own material. And not only do you guarantee that you have a job and something to do, you can also make it about what you want. Uh, so you have a lot more control. And I figured that uh, was the thing to do. It took me, took me a few years and, uh, you know, a, a breakup and some, some other low points to refine myself, I think. Uh, but eventually I got back around to it. And is that when 60 Seconds with Stu was born or did you do something prior to that with video? I had actually gotten on a, a reality dating show just recently before that. And as I was getting involved in that, I started using a lot more video on my phones, right? I had started using Instagram, uh, you know, Facebook for little videos and short things. And so I started taking a lot more videos on my phone. And then when I traveled, I started doing it. I had no real intention of what to do with it. I just knew I wanted to sort of document more and create more. And so it, it took a while. I would say at first, there was no rhyme or reason for my content. And then I, I eventually did develop, say, I want to do this more regularly. I want a purpose. And I figured short 60 second content would be easier than longer content. And my name is Stu. 60 seconds with Stu just sounded like it worked, right? And so that's really how it was born. And I think that sounds like a good thing. When I first saw that you had something called 60 seconds with Stu, I thought about what I knew of you and I thought, that's not long enough because <laughs> you have what some would say a lot to say about a lot of things. And when you're explaining or when you get excited about restaurants or food, then 60 seconds isn't always enough. And I know you struggled a little bit to, to stay within that 60 seconds. How long did it take to realize that you maybe wanted to do some longer videos? So it, it took a while, right? I mean, you started, I started making videos. My first couple really, uh, I think my very first one, believe it or not, was I went to the New York City tree lighting. And, and that was actually perfect for 60 seconds. I had no script, no nothing, whatever. I went to Columbia shortly thereafter for a while and visited a couple different cities. And I kept those both also to 60 seconds, but I realized it just wasn't a lot of time. 60 seconds is great for if you have one specific story or item to tell and you want to give just a little bit of a description, but not too much, uh, it's great. But if you want to get into really more detail or more than one particular thing, you really need more than 60 seconds. So when you went to Columbia, you were starting to think that you may want to pursue this a little bit more. Is that when you got into more of doing the videos and wanted to kind of push this out a little bit more? Yeah. So I did have those, I edited those first two videos from Cartagena and uh, Medellin on my own. And I made them in a format that a square format, right? I was hoping that would work on Facebook and Instagram and so forth. Didn't work as good on, on YouTube, but I did edit together in professional videos. And I said, Hey, let's try this, see what traction it gets and get some practice under my belt. Um, so those were really the, those were really the first two videos I would say about, about traveling. And what was the response like with those? Uh, so those two, I mean, didn't get a lot of traction, right? I mean, I had started a Facebook page, uh, I did put them up on Instagram, which I actually had an okay Instagram following at that time. Um, but when you start a new Facebook page, people don't just stumble upon it very easily, especially when there's, I guess, now three videos up, right? Uh, so it takes a while. I, I think that 
a very difficult but necessary thing is to start getting enough content. People are going to browse your pages, and if they see one or two videos, they're just going to say, hey, this guy's he's got a hobby, makes a couple of videos, and then they move on, even if they do stumble upon it, right? If you have 15, 20 videos that are made you know, every couple of weeks or on some sort of regular schedule, people will look at it and say, all right, this guy, this is his thing. This is what he's doing. Uh, maybe he's worth following and you know, give him some credibility in terms of what he might be doing. So how quickly did you start adding additional videos after the first three? Uh, not, not quick enough. I can tell you that. <laughs> I, I, I mean, so the, think about it. these, these full-time YouTubers, for example, they're putting out a video a week, right? And that has to be for the most part, your full-time job between the videoing, the editing, the, the planning of it all and so forth. Uh, so I was a little sporadic at, at first. Um, but I got a little bit more regular as time got on and it becomes a little, a little easier. You get in the groove and you get a few videos ahead. So if you have, if you're sick one week, for example, or something's going on, you know, you can take some time off and still be on schedule. I think we're still trying to do that with the podcast. We, we keep talking about getting ahead and every time we think we're getting ahead, it just zips right away from us. And then we end up with like last week we did a replay of an episode cause Derek and I were both traveling and there was just no way we could schedule a recording. So kudos to you to being able to actually get ahead and get some things recorded. Kind of take us through the process. You mentioned a couple of times like the planning for it, or you said in those early videos, you didn't have a script. How, how has that progressed to the videos you're doing now? And what kind of prep work goes into that? I guess take us through the full from the idea to the finish, the process for that. Yeah, so it's changed a lot. And to be honest, I really miss those, those early days. I mean, I remember being in the Dominican Republic and I, I did have a few places I wanted to go. By then I was sort of starting to mostly highlight food and cocktails or beers or whatever. But I just remember being on the back of a, a motorcycle, right? A guy, they use motorcycle taxis and having my iPhone, which I was still using at the time, you know, holding it out while on the motorcycle being like, this is the best way to get around town or whatever. And uh, everything was on the fly. And you just hoped that you had enough content with good sound uh, that kind of worked. And you hoped that it would stitch together to tell a story. And, and sometimes that works. Really now what I do is, you know, we can get into our latest trips recently, but if I want to discuss a specific town or a specific cuisine in an area, I actually do a lot more due diligence now. I really plan it out. So sometimes I might be in a location, if I'm staying there long-term, several weeks before I even come up with the concept or the places that I want to go. And I'll do a bunch, a lot more research and I'll choose, you know, three or four bullet items I want to highlight. And some of it I will script out ahead of time. Some of it I still do script out at the place I'm at because sometimes the best thing to do is to be talking to the the people who work at a bar, for example. What are the most popular cocktails? Why do you like this? What do people like about this? Or tacos, you know, the different types of tacos. Okay, this is this. So you can sometimes learn what you think you want to say and boil it down before, right before you film. But the filming itself, you can do it all in one day or you can do it over a week or so. Uh, editing is the most painful process. Always will be, I think. Uh, I do, I was editing at first myself. 
I do now have a, a friend that helps me out. We used to do on the, uh, he helps me out, I give him beer, sort of barter system. Now I guess he prefers real hard money. Go figure. Imagine that, getting wanting to get paid for what you do. <laughs> I mean, beer is valuable, I would think, but, uh, but now I, I have stepped up. So now I do use a professional editor. What I do is I go through and I sort everything for him and I give the clips I think are the ones we want to use and so forth, organize it as best for him. You know, we can do a one or two week turnaround time, depending on the, the need, throw it, caption it, um, make sure I have a thumbnail, come up with the title and do it. So, you know, I can really get something done in a week now if I would like to. And something that I've noticed in traveling with you the last couple spots, which I don't think people realize watching the videos, they see that you have these few places that you like and you talk about them and you talk about the drinks and you talk about the foods. But what I don't think people would know from just watching those is that you found those places by like if you feature two bars, you've probably been to eight or ten bars. And then then in the times that I've been traveling with you, a couple of days later, you'll just disappear for half a day and be like, all right, I'm going to go back and record at these places that we like the best. And I think that's a really good way of doing it because I think there's so many articles that you can find, especially with travel bloggers. And I'm sure it's the same with videos where people title it like the five best things to do in Prague or the three best bars in this, when in reality, it's just the three bars they went to. And I really like that you expand that to actually find which ones you think are the best ones before you do that recording. So I think that's one of the most difficult things. And I think that's where either you could say I go overboard, um, where I spend too much time in preparation and too little time actually doing it. But at least for now, I've made the conscious decision. I want mine research-based uh, by myself. I want to know why someplace is special. So, so exactly what you said. Whereas back in the day, I would find a couple of cool spots, maybe film five of them and maybe use four of them. Now I go out and I do my due diligence. Could be a few weeks of just eating out at every single place until I've really narrowed down what I think is the best. But what matters to me too is not what I think is the best, but why I think it should be featured. If it's a bar or restaurant, they can be either great overall, they do everything fantastic. Or what I also like to do is say, hey, this place here, it's a good bar and good restaurant, sure, but they have the best chicken wings. And so typically if I highlight something, it's something that I found about that place to be either unique or better than most other places you would find that at. And I sort of like when that angle comes around when they have one particular item uh, as opposed to just saying, hey, this is a great place. But, you know, I, I have a mix of a lot of different things. Jeff, I don't know about you, but this sounds like the perfect, perfect market research uh, that I could get behind, right? I mean, going around and eating and drinking for research. Uh, Stu, do you happen to be hiring any research assistants? Because I could probably make myself available <laughs> on short notice and for extended periods of time. <laughs> So, so it's funny you ask. I, I actually, believe it or not, I know you just asked that in jest. I actually am looking for people uh, for more help. And, and exactly in what you said, the research part. Listen, I can, I can show up in Amsterdam. I can do a lot of research beforehand. I can do a lot of research while I'm there. But again, my time is valuable and it takes up a lot of time to research. 
So if I find a team of people who can already sort of help me and guide me and maybe even explain to me better the different style of foods or why that's popular in that region or whatever, it helps me speed up that whole process. And so I am sort of trying to find a trusted group of people that can help me with authentic cuisine or certain things really all over. Eventually, I'd like to you know, expand all over the world. For now, I'm expanding as I can. And all kidding aside, you just led me to my next question, which would be, it sounds like you do some type of in-depth research before going to a place to, to know what you're looking for. Is that right? Uh, I do. I mean, before I even show up, uh, it's funny. I will do zero research on where I'm going to stay. I typically show up in a city and I forgot to book a hotel or an Airbnb and I have no place to go. So I will be like, oh, while I'm in the taxi, I'll be booking a hotel uh, on the way to the town. But with food and restaurants, whatever, I do. I actually do a lot of research on that, whether, you know, different types of tacos and what regions certain types of tacos are from or, or not, or, you know, the local cuisine. I try to get as good of a handle on that as I can because I really want to be able to decipher when I get there, what's authentic and what's not. And not being authentic is not a knock. There actually can be a lot of great things. You just need to know when you're highlighting something, how to talk about it. Authentic, upscale, unique. Maybe they do a, a new take on something that's been around for centuries. Uh, so yeah, I Google research. I listen to videos. I do as much as I possibly can. And I can speak to the lack of planning on logistics for Stu, because there have been a couple of times where I've been traveling with you that you just either you haven't known where you're going next, or you were asking us like, should I go to this country? Should I go to that country? And you just didn't have a solid plan. Or my favorite was the last trip we did together in Europe. There was um, a train that we had booked in groups, and we had it was cheapest if you booked it in groups of five, so we all did that ahead of time. And it was months before the trip, and we were all on the train, and we're like, where's Stu? And we, I get a text from you, and you're like, hey, train was sold out, bought a ticket on the next one, I'll catch up with you guys. But you had a ticket, and you had paid for that ticket, and you just didn't pay attention to it. So that's my, my fun. Stu was busy getting a, a coffee or a snack and didn't show up for the train story. Yeah, well, apparently when I do things in advance, which is rarely, I don't know that I did that. And I forget. And I'm so used to just, you know, flying by the seat of my pants that I um, didn't realize I had a train. And then, of course, the next train didn't go to where I wanted it to. So I had to backtrack. And then I think I got there like eight hours later after you guys had already explored the entire city of Prague or wherever we were heading I forget where and I think that was a, a competition between you and Bethany could to see who could have the more more struggles on their trip to it was Pilsen we were headed to and I don't know who won but uh it listeners if you ever have a chance to hear Bethany's story of that day it's a it's a good time <laughs> yeah I mean uh, struggle is a tough word I actually prefer I don't find traveling to be a struggle even when things go wrong I actually find it part of the experience and, and I really like the doing it as you go. And if you end up at the wrong spot, you stay there at night. You know, hopefully it's not in the middle of nowhere. And then you get to go wherever you're going, you know, you get there the next day. I think that's actually part of the fun. The, I'm not very good at planning ahead. Some people, you know, they have their whole itinerary. We'll be here these days. We're on a 10 o'clock tour and then a two o'clock tour. And I 
I'll miss half of those. I actually had a fun train story back uh, when we were traveling Europe after college. Uh, a buddy of mine and I got on a train and we thought we were going the right way and we went to sleep. It was an overnight train. And in the middle of the night, we were woken up. Uh, agents that were coming through at passport control and we thought, that's interesting. We didn't know we were going to a different country. And it was, I mean, first of all, it was a terrifying moment because they opened the door and they had a lot of security in Europe it has uh, big guns that they carry around, machine gun style weapons over their shoulders and they're dressed all in black and they open the door on this train and start talking to us in a foreign language and we wake up to that. So that, that was terrifying. But we did eventually find out what they wanted and they wanted our passports and we showed them. And then we started thinking, huh, where is this train going? And it turns out we went completely in the wrong direction. Ended up, I don't even remember what country we ended up in, but then we stayed there for a couple of days and then went on our way back the other way. So it was a, a happy little accident. I think that's sometimes how the best fun happens when you end up somewhere you didn't expect or something happens you didn't expect and you, you just go with it. That's a lot of my favorite times. So I think our listeners are probably curious at this point. They hear that you may be in places for several weeks. They hear that you, you've done a decent amount of travel and prep for that. Is this something that you're doing full time now? Is there a, as you said earlier, a, a real job that pays the bills that allows you to do this? Or how do, how do you end up with such an ability for flexible travel? Um, yeah, so I do still have a, a, a job, as, as many people do, a, a nine to five, let's call it. Uh, I do get good vacation time. And when you're starting your own thing, probably like this podcast or any other business or venture or whatever you may want, it's it's effectively a second job, right? If you want to do things, um, you maximize your free time, whether that's your vacation days, whether it's your nights or weekends, whatever it may be. And yeah, sometimes I would love to go out on Sundays and watch NFL games. That's what Sundays are, are for, right? But... If you're behind and you want a video, you may say, you know what, I'm going to spend the weekend going to Queens, you know, testing street carts, for example, or whatever you may be, be doing. So you fit it in as you can. I would love eventually to have the freedom of being able to do this full time and monetizing it. Uh, but right now, my goal is actually not to monetize it. It's to grow it and to be useful for people, uh, people such as travel people in general or points of miles people, or really just anyone traveling to a, a specific area or having interest in, in food. Uh, so that's really my main, main goal right now. So that's interesting that your goal is to be useful and not monetize because I think so many people get into this with the exact opposite goals, or I guess they don't, their goal is not to not be useful, but they, it, it's an accident if they are, and they're just trying to monetize. So again, I think you're going about <laughs> it the right way. <laughs> Yeah, and and so, so we, you just brought up uh, Pilsen. Actually, can we, can we go? Can we touch upon that for a second? Because actually, I think that's sure. I think that's a pretty a pretty unique point. I think in my life, um, we had so we had just left Budapest, or where did we just leave when we went to? Uh, that was straight from Munich. From Munich, okay. So so we were oh that's right we were leaving Oktoberfest, and Pilsen in the Czech Republic has Pilsen Fest, a comparable festival, right? And we decided to, to go there. And when you travel with points and miles people, uh, you know, one of the things I found, I historically am not a points and miles person. I have now through osmosis and drinking a lot of beers or, or whiskeys with Spencer, or whoever, maybe become a moderate level one, but, but not, uh, 
not great yet. Um, but I found that when you travel with these people, you know, your job is, is a lot to tell how people should get there using points, what airlines, what deals there are, maybe how to use miles to get the hotel. And when I travel with you all, thanks to Pilsen, a lot of you then go to work. When we get to the location, you go to work. You write your blogs, you write your research on how you got there and everything. And that gives me some time to go out and explore, right? Um, and so maybe that exploring helps you guys in terms of, hey, I found these great restaurants where I found great goulash at these places in Budapest or doner kebabs in Munich or whatever it may be, right? So, so I think traveling with you from Oktoberfest to Pilsen and, and Budapest uh, was really helpful in me finding how to be useful to you all, right? Because my focus is slightly different. And I think that they're very complementary to each other. Uh, but that Pilsen was actually really unique. Pilsen, as we all now know, or we do know, is the birthplace of the Pilsner style of beer. Yes, with Pilsner Urquell, of course. And and that was fantastic. And so I went there and I knew I wanted to do to do a video. And this was, I don't know, maybe eight or 10 videos in. So I was still making them 60 seconds, and which was perfect for this. But Pilsen is where I decided to make this video really for a more educational purpose, right? So I talked about what Pilsner is, the history of it, that this is where it was founded, and, and just a little bit backstory about it, kept it to 60 seconds. Like I said, one very precise storyline and details. And I put that together and released it. And at least at that point, and maybe even to date, that was my biggest video. Uh, the most viewers, the most responses. And it, it was all over the world that people were interested, right? Because everyone in the world, maybe, drinks beer or Pilsner style of beer or has an interest in it. And so I got comments from people in Pilsen or Czech Republic. I got people from Germany, from other beer drinking countries, the U.S. And that's great because it's, it's a worldwide concept when you talk about something like that. And I think that video was probably what got me the most followers. Uh, that's really what propelled my channel into being what it is now, focusing on food and drink, and really is the one that went viral enough to, to get me a following. And so that trip right there, that 60 second video that was educational, uh, I really, I, I call that sort of really the start of where it all started getting better. So beer really is the answer to all things. Yes, and we were there in Pilsen, and Stu was growing a business by leaps and bounds, and I was just drinking a whole lot of Pilsner or Cal. <laughs> One of us had a more productive trip. Well, it's what you should be doing. You, you should be drinking beer. I was drinking beer as well, too, just also doing video takes in between and hoping not to slur my words until I was done. And, Stu, I like how politely you put it about talking uh, talking about traveling with points and miles folks you said you know it things change when you travel with those people to read between the lines what you're saying is what we all know in the points and miles world to be true you when you travel with us uh you can't help but become consumed by points and miles because we just won't shut up about it and even worse it's for most of us it's like one of the few things we know enough to talk about constantly so I think you're right. Not only uh, do you have to immerse yourself in that culture, because that's all we talk about, but also your line of work, giving recommendations once you're there, 
is a missing part of the points and miles world. We know how to get anywhere in the world for free or close to free. We know how to stay anywhere in the world for free or close to free. But a lot of us don't really research on our own what things to do once we're there. Well, and you're busy once you're there, right? Now that you got there, you have to write that article that is due whenever it's due. Or maybe it's your own blog or whatever. And so it, it took me a little getting used to and a little bit of time to sort of get comfortable with it. And then that's actually what made me realize, though, is that they can be complementary and I can provide some benefit to travelers and even people that I know and travel with who, you know, I would go out on my own. And that's my research. They've already done their research. Now it's time for me to do mine. I think that's a great idea. It, the way that is complementary, but it would be nice, I think, anywhere that I travel if I could have someone that would go with me and when we get there, go out and find all the good stuff and then come back and tell me and then I can just go do that stuff. Like, that's fantastic. So if you do that with your videos in more and more locations, I mean, I'm all for it. Yeah, I, and I think I videos are really time consuming. I think I'm going to try to supplement also with, you know, blog style articles. I don't really like calling them blogs, but, but research articles as well. And that allows me to do a little bit more... Um, with less time as well. So supplementing with those. Yeah, you can put a couple pictures in and write 1,500 or 2,000 words a lot quicker than you can edit up a, a professional style one or two minute video. Yeah, but it's 2021 video really for a while now has been really maybe the main source of media for the, the upcoming generations and everything, right? I mean, on YouTube, how often do you go on YouTube to do anything from learn to tie a bow tie to... I don't know, change a carburetor on a car or something. I don't know. Are there carburetors anymore? They don't, they don't have carburetors. No, anymore, but there's really. old cars. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you can find out if your car has a carburetor on YouTube, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so you recently uh, went through a rebrand, a, a most of the way rebrand. I think you're maybe mid rebrand, but you decided to switch away from that 60 seconds with Stu to something that talks a little more about what you're doing. And it became Find My Food Stu. What made you decide to do that? And what is the, I guess, what is the goal going forward as you finish out this rebrand and head forward with the, the newish business? Yeah, it is. As much as I loved the, the name and the alliteration of 60 Seconds with Stu, it doesn't give a clear purpose of what you're doing. It really just says, whatever it is, it should be 60 seconds long and doesn't tell you any more than just that. My background, I grew up in a restaurant. Uh, my dad was the chef. My mom ran the front of house. And I got a lot of knowledge through the food industry through that by working at it really, I mean, even now. So I guess my whole life, even now I'm working in the food industry, just not in a physical restaurant anymore. But I really saw growing up in my parents' restaurant, the three busiest days, guess what they were? They were Easter, Thanksgiving, and Mother's Day. Father's Day was just another normal night, but those were the three busiest days. They were the days when families came together. And I always sort of, I always sort of wished I was Italian and had those Sunday night family dinners, right, with the, you know, the food for three hours. Um, but my parents' restaurant was at. I saw the families come together and I saw how food and dining out brought them together. And, you know, they could be loud, they'd tell jokes. And, you know, that was their their way of getting along and their, their bonding time. And then as you start traveling, you see that food is a cultural thing for 
families all around the world. And, and food is culture. And a great way to learn people and places is, is through their food. And it's also a great opportunity to meet the people behind the food or at the restaurant or other patrons or whatever. So really, that was my background. That was my interest. You know, when, when I go out, I don't, I don't go skydiving anymore. I'm not trying to look for the, the zip line and, you know, in New Zealand anymore or, or bungee jumping. Uh, you know, we, I find out food. I'm like, what are the best burritos? What are the be whatever. And so I, I always had that interest in that. And so it sort of made sense. And my videos had sort of taken that twist anyway, right? My very first one of Christmas tree lighting to my first one that went viral, which was about beer. Beers, it's a food, right? Uh, and then they sort of continued on like that where my videos sort of became about food and whatever. So it really was a natural progression, what I knew, what I enjoyed, and what made sense to me to provide uh, content that would help people. All right. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing more of what you come up with as you continue to travel, as hopefully the world gets back to normal a little bit. It's not looking so good right now, but... Hopefully we'll see some more travels in the next year or so, and we'll be looking forward to seeing some, some great videos from you about the food and what to do there so that I can just show up someplace and go to all the good places. I've definitely had some great travels with Stu, and I expect many more to come. He has a amazing way of finding the best food and drink wherever he goes so if you want to hear more about his travels and some of the fun we've had together be sure to tune in next week but for now Derek we're going to get into the travel and points updates with our favorite Chase. That's right and you know Jeff the only thing better than traveling is traveling for free or close to it and as we've been talking for months, one of the best ways to travel for free right now is the Chase Sapphire Preferred Card. 100,000 points for $4,000 spend in three months, $95 annual fee, a minimum of $1,250 in travel through the tra travel portal or via Chase Pay Yourself Back. It could be worth up to $2,000 plus uh, if you transfer to partners. But Jeff, that all-time high offer that we've been talking about uh, since early, I guess, early June, it got it got better this week. Unbelievably. I feel like we're now one of those, uh, that famous guy on TV infomercials. But wait, there's more, right? Um, pretty soon they're going to throw in a block of knives. I mean, apparently, yeah. Yes, you have said it before, like, wait another week, it'll probably go up. At some point, we have to be like, no, we're kidding. It can't get any better than this. I think we might be at that point. We still have that all-time high offer of 100,000 ultimate rewards available, 4,000 spend three months. But they've included new benefits on the card that went live on August 16th. And that includes for new card holders as of August 17th or later. So if you're listening to this, you're about to sign up, They will, the new benefits will apply to you. You get a $50 annual hotel credit on a hotel book through the Chase Travel Portal. You get 5x on all spend in the Chase Travel Portal. 
You get 3x on dining, including takeout and carryout services. Uh, you get it on select streaming services, and you get 3x points on online grocery purchases, although Target, Walmart, and Wholesale Clubs are excluded. Uh, those are the new category bonuses. Like before, you still get 2x on general travel and then 1x on everything else. Another piece they added, Jeff, uh, to these new benefits is each year after you pay your anniversary uh, $95 annual fee, you get 10% back in points for the dollars you spent the year prior. Uh, it's called your anniversary bonus. Uh, that works out to you end up getting 10% of the spend in points. So if you spend 10,000 a year, you get a thousand points. If you spend 25,000 on that card, you get 2,500 points. Um, not a huge incentive, but the increases on the multipliers, oh well, along with that hotel credit, uh, again, they just made the best uh, offer even better, Jeff. And we have to be at the all time high offer. I can't imagine it getting any better, right? Yeah, a couple thoughts on this. They it, they took the card, which we were already saying was the best offer ever, and they added more benefits to it. So it's not like they had a losing product. They had the winning product, and they just made it better. So now it's far and away the best card, especially for people getting into this, that you can pick up. I don't know why anyone wouldn't grab this card. If I could get 10 of them, I would get 10 of them. It's fantastic. And we talked about it keeps getting better and better and better, and they've added these new benefits. What I'm thinking is with these new benefits, they're going to let this go for a little while at the same annual fee. I think the next move is going to be to increase the annual fee. So I would not wait for a better offer. This is the first time in months that I have said don't wait for a better offer on the Chase Sapphire Preferred. I think we've hit the pinnacle. I don't think it's going to get better. I think the next change we're going to see is a higher annual fee on that card, maybe going up to 150. Yep, I think you're right on that, and and we've we've speculated at that before. When these rumors came out, we thought the in, the annual fee would go up. It hasn't yet, so I, I agree wholeheartedly with your advice. Don't don't sleep on this offer. Uh, two things to note about this: one. Miles and Pints has affiliate links. You can go to milesandpints.com if you want to support the podcast and use our link for the Chase Sapphire Preferred. Again, 100,000 points for 4,000 spend in three months, $95 annual fee. You get all of those benefits we just mentioned. The second thing, Jeff, about this offer, for people that are new to Miles and Points, let's put this in perspective, right? I saw a couple posts this week. Should I hold out for a better offer? Because we saw... We saw 60, then we saw 80, now we see 100. Maybe we see 125 or 150. Look, until 2020 or 2019, we had never seen anything higher than 50,000 for the Chase Sapphire Preferred, right? Most of us that are, have been in the game and are now eligible for a Chase Sapphire Preferred again, we've had it more than four years. Most of us got it at 50,000 points or less. So we're talking about double that plus a bunch of new bonus categories, new credits, things like that. Historically, we are talking about double what all of us received when we ran out and got it because it was also the best beginner card back then at 50,000. And we haven't even talked about the best part of the card. And that is if like me, you were in middle school, high school in the uh, 
early 90s, the new design of the card will look exactly like the background <laughs> you picked for your school pictures. Yeah, the laser light show. Exactly uh, maybe, the same. Maybe we gelled our hair really high with way too much hair gel. We're wearing leather jackets, those types of things. The glamour photos, right, with those lasers in the back. That's exactly what it is, Jeff. It's good memories. It's back when you and I had hair. That's a, I mean, that's a long time ago. <sighs> it seems almost impossible these days, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> so obviously, not a huge feature of the card, but one that amuses those of us who had those backgrounds on our school pictures. And no, I am not going to find that picture and post yeah. it for all of you to see. Yeah. Well, you could probably recreate it by putting a terrible, terrible wig on and then taking a picture with your CSP as your background once you get this new design. Yeah, maybe I will uh, request that upgraded design and see what kind of Photoshop <laughs> magic I can work out. Luckily, the bonus improvements were way better than the card art improvement. Yes. <laughs> and the CSR, unfortunately, the Chase Sapphire Reserve, we cannot say that that has gotten a whole lot better. They made a couple of changes. It's the same rumor changes we went over um, uh, several weeks ago. They went to 10 times points on Chase Dining, which is not something that most people are going to use. Hotel and car rental purchases through Chase Travel, which some people might use, not a huge benefit. They have 5x earning on airline travel booked through Chase Travel, 3x on all travel and dining, and 1x on all other purchases. It's not, I don't know. I don't know if they're trying to push people away from that card. I don't know if they are just throwing in the towel, but adding all those benefits on the Chase Sapphire Preferred and just doing these minimal changes on a card that has more than five times the annual fee, I can't imagine why they didn't do more with the Chase Sapphire Reserve unless they don't want people getting that card. Agreed. A couple of big swings and misses here for me, Jeff. Number one, why would you add a, a grocery category bonus even as limited as it as it is for online grocery only why would you add that to a chase sapphire preferred without addressing it at all on the chase sapphire reserve that that you know it just doesn't strike right with me i think they that was a swing and a miss by chase they they really had a opportunity for their high-end card to while making changes to really take uh, market share away from the competition. The MX Platinum doesn't have a grocery bonus. Uh, the Prestige doesn't have a, uh, the City Prestige doesn't have a grocery bonus. I mean, you can't even get that card anymore. Exactly, right? So Chase had an opportunity to grab some market share from this, you know, quote unquote premium travel card space by adding some type of grocery bonus. They didn't do that. The, like you said, the dining, uh, limited opportunities. If you live in a large uh, metro area and or you, you know, uh, have a lot of high-end restaurants that you book through talk currently, you might get some benefit for that. But again, we're talking about limited points earning opportunity here. Every, you know, how many $500 dinners do you have per year? Well, if, if that is available on Chase Dining Portal, you would get 5,000 points uh, per $500 dinner. I mean, yeah, it's good, but how many people have those, uh, more than one a year, let's say, right? I mean, very limited, uh, applicability for most people. Again, hotels through the portal 10 X. Yeah, it's a good benefit. It could be a 15% return, which is nothing to sneeze at. But if you have any status, 
uh, you know, you probably don't want to go there. Um, also, I would just point out if, if you're one of these people that say I don't care about status, I just want to I just want a clean room and I want to shop for the lowest price. You'd probably be better off going to Hotels.com, booking on your CSP for two X. You'd give up eight X, but you also get every tenth night free uh, on Hotels.com, and you can buy it through a portal. So there's a there's a stacking there. Um, so. You know, again, that just uh, another swing and a miss for me. I'm not booking hotels through the Chase portal. I'm not going to book airfare through the Chase portal, giving all of the the problems since COVID hit. And I'm certainly not booking rental cars through the portal. I'm going direct uh, with the rental car programs with their uh, disc, you know corporate discount codes and their uh, elite status. Uh, things and benefits and things. So, you know, swing and a miss overall. And I, I think I agree with you. I don't think Chase wants people to hold the reserve much more. And they obviously realize what they've done. And we say we, they don't want people to hold the reserve. They don't want new people to get the reserve, I think. But they do seem to be doing some retention efforts on that card, which we haven't seen in a while. Doctor of Credit reporting retention offers of 150 to $250 on the Chase Sapphire Reserve, which is not, everyone's not getting those. Some people are seeing those offers. I wouldn't necessarily expect anything when I call in, but it's worth a call if you're planning to keep that card or if you're thinking of getting rid of that card and something, a credit like that would move you to keep it for another year. So I don't know what their plan is with that card. With the city not taking applications, for the prestige at this point, we may see this card going away. I don't I don't know what's happening with the premium card market. I think it got really messed up with COVID. I think they had to do a lot of retention bonuses. I think they lost a lot of money on it. Amex has turned theirs into a giant coupon book. I I don't know. We'll have to see what happens later in the year. Long live the mid-tier cards, I guess, Jeff. I mean, we yep. love our MX Golds. We love our city premieres. Uh, you know, maybe we are seeing the, you know, the $500 plus rewards uh, credit card not being the best cards for those of us in the awards travel space. It's always going to be there, you know. Uh, Amex Platinum's always going to be a status symbol. Uh, but for those of us in the award game, we know there are better Amex cards over it. Um, and it looks like that way, that's the way Chase is going with the preferred. I mean, I would wholeheartedly at this point say that the Chase Sapphire preferred is 100% the correct card for for everyone with just a few caveats. One, if you're active duty military uh, and you get that annual fee waived, the CSR might make more sense since you would get that $300 travel credit plus 60k. Uh, that's pretty much it. Maybe if your employer reimburses uh, an annual fee uh, for, a, for a credit card for you to use for uh, business travel purposes, maybe the CSR makes sense over the CSP. But, uh, you know, absent someone else paying the annual fee or it being waived, I think it's CSP 100% of the time. Absolutely agree with you. And Chase has made a change also to, in, in, I guess, in other weird moves by Chase, the Hyatt credit card, they changed a little bit of the, the bonus or the benefits for that if you're going to be getting a new Hyatt card. 
So the bonus for the card hasn't changed at all, but they've made a couple of changes to what the card gives you. And first of all, they've taken away the Discoverist, automatic Discoverist status, which is something that we see on most of these co-branded cards, you get some sort of elite status. That's now gone on the Hyatt card for people getting that card. But they have added a new bonus or a new promo that goes from the middle of August through the end of this year. If you get the new card, then you get two Elite Knight credits per stay. So we saw something like that from Hyatt over the past year as they were encouraging people. They, they basically cut in half their Elite requirements and then they doubled your Elite Knight stay credits. So they're coming back at us with that again. And I don't know if it's Chase or Hyatt driving this, but through the credit card, they're giving you those double elite night credits again. So a pretty easy way to earn globalist status because you automatically get five nights when you get the card and you only need 30 nights for globalist this year. So you can go from zero nights to globalist with just 13 nights of stay at Hyatt. So it is a great way to quickly get globalist status some kind of weird changes it's almost like they threw in the promo on the card rather than doing it for everybody and i don't know if that's going to drive people to get the card i don't know if it's good enough for that yeah i I, i'm i'm torn on this jeff i still do not like the sign up bonus at all um i mean at its core uh it is if you spend 15k on the card which is a big sign up bonus especially for a hotel card as much as i love hyatt uh, it, it's uh, 45,000 points for $15,000 spend, essentially, because you would get 1x on the other spend. So although they, they claim it's a 60,000-point sign-up bonus, you would always earn 1x on the spend anyway. So it's really only a, a 45,000 Hyatt point sign-up bonus for $15,000 spend. But while I don't like them not updating and improving that offer... I tell you, Jeff, like you can get globalist uh, globalist status for what seventy five percent off the normal requirements, thirteen nights plus a credit card instead of fifty five. That's pretty good, right? I mean, <laughs> most everyone in the words travel space uh, would agree that the most valuable hotel loyalty in the game is Hyatt Globalist, and the fact that you can get it for thirteen nights uh, stay. Uh, is as good as it's ever been. I mean, it, it it's mind-blowingly good, honestly. I mean, 13 nights. Uh, you find a you find a hotel uh, with a $50 night, or you can negotiate a rate for 13 nights for $50 a night. 650 bucks uh, for Hyatt Globalist. One stay at a high-end resort where you're upgraded to a to a um, executive or premium suite for more than a few nights is easily worth $650 if you value that sweet upgrade. So um, this is pretty much as good as it gets. So again, I'm torn. Not a huge fan of that bonus on the card, but when you add in 13 nights to Globalist, pretty good, Jeff. Pretty good. I also have to wonder who this is targeted towards because if it's someone who really values globalist status and does the stays for that. They've probably already got globalist secured this year with the promos earlier in the year. So they don't need this the second half of this year. If it's someone who is just getting into it and excited to get globalist for the first time, it almost they almost have to 
have the feeling that they're going to keep globalist status from here on out every year because they don't get that discoverist status anymore with the card. So it's, I think people that get these co-branded cards to have some level of status, it's, it doesn't, it's not targeted towards them. It's targeted towards people who are starting now to get globalist and plan to keep globalist forever, which is, I think a very small group. Yeah. That's a great point. And I would add to that, to even to make that segment of, of the population even smaller, Jeff, most people that might fit in that category don't understand how valuable globalist is. So why why you know, how many people out there, number one, know what how valuable globalist is, two, don't already have it, and three, are ready to jump all in and become globalist and continue to be globalist. I mean, you're talking about a very small subset of people. If it's you, go get the Hyatt card because the bonus just got better. Uh, 13 nights to globalist. But, yeah, there's not many of us out there, I don't think. Yeah, if it's not you, welcome to the club because it's not a lot of us. (laughs) So we'll go from that strange change from Hyatt to uh, a good old faithful offer that's been here for several weeks here on the podcast. That is the city premiere is still at 80,000 points. It is, I, I mean, the Chase... Sapphire preferred the changes to that, bring that back up to the top for us, I think, and the most recommended card. The City Premiere is right up there. It's a great card for your spend in several categories once you get it. If possible, and you can get the Premiere and the the City Premiere and the Chase Sapphire preferred, that's a one-two punch to get you 180,000 points and a whole bunch of great benefits and good points earning from here on out. It's an amazing way to get started in the award travel world. I would get those two cards. I would recommend those two cards to anyone starting out in this game. Agreed. Uh, Obviously, Chase Sapphire Preferred, everyone needs one of those. Um, The second card everyone needs is a city premiere. If you haven't listened to Miles and Points with Pints before, first, welcome to the show. Hope you enjoy it. Um, believe everything I say and ignore most of Jeff, but, uh, just kidding. Just kidding. Um, Once again, I remind you that I edit this show. (laughs) Pretty sure, pretty sure you won't be saying anything by the time. No, no one will hear any of this, but if you haven't heard the show before, let me remind you, I say it every single time we talk about the city premiere. It is the most underrated card in the travel reward space. $95 annual fee, uncapped spend for 3x grocery stores and gas stations and restaurants. That's as good as it gets, folks, Um, especially if you can maximize your spend at those places. Grocery stores, gas stations, uncapped spend. You can't uh, quantify that. Uh, You know, you can go spend as much as your heart desires. So I'll say it every week, Jeff. Most underrated card in the space. Everyone needs it. Go get a CSP. Go get a city premiere, um, and you, like you said, that's a great one-two punch. On a positive note for that card, before we move on to Amex, uh, Jeff uh, Miles and Pints has seen a lot of signups on on uh, for the city premiere. We initially reported that it looked like approvals had tightened up. We're starting to see some approvals come through. We're hearing from a lot of our friends and listeners. They are getting the card. They are getting instant approval. We've heard a couple reports of uh, approvals on uh, a reconsideration call after a denial. So if you're on the fence and you were worried about our initial reports, go get the city premiere. 
uh, support the podcast if you wish or some other content creator. Uh, there are no referrals on that cards uh, other than affiliate links. So uh, if you want to support the podcast, we would appreciate it uh, or uh, your favorite content creator, whoever that might be. But use someone's link, get the card. It's unbelievable. And American Express sees all these moves from Chase and the new benefits and the new bonuses and City doing high bonuses. And what do they do? They start taking points back from people that earned them during promotions. The Amex Rat Team has struck again. And there were earlier this year, maybe even late last year, they had some bonuses where if you referred a friend to any card or several different cards, you would get five or ten times points earning at home furnishing stores, I think they called it. It was uh, like Lowe's, Home Depot, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond. I, there was the yeah. container store. There was a whole list of stores, but it was home furnishing stores, and it was limited to 25000 in spend. So what did people do? They went out and found that you could buy gift cards at Lowe's, and they spent 25000 at Lowe's. And what is Amex doing? Taking all those points back. So we don't know if Amex can see level three data from Lowe's and can see exactly what those people were spending. Or maybe they saw that they were spending at Lowe's in $500 increments. And they say that is not in the spirit of the promotion. And they are starting to claw those points back that have already been awarded to people. And that's something, anytime you see one of these promos from Amex, you have to think to yourself, one of my favorite internet memes is, it's a trap. And it's just, they've done it time after time. They say, here, you can earn these points. And then when you do it, they say, no, 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 you can't earn them that way. And they take them back. So you really have to watch it with Amex when you're doing those spending bonuses. Once again, they're taking them away. Jeff, whenever I hear Amex and rat together in the same sentence, I just start kind of shuddering. I get a little sweaty and nervous. <laughs> you know, kind of freaks me out. They're always on the prowl. They're always trying to catch us. Um, I, I, you know, I feel like they're terrible humans, whomever they are. They may just be computer algorithms. You never know. But uh, no, not really. They're probably lovely people who just don't want to pay out bonuses. But, you know, this happens. <laughs> We've been seeing it for a couple of years now at a minimum. Tread lightly, folks. Um, maybe do your research beforehand if you can. Uh, if you're going to buy large quantities of gift cards, always try and do it at places that don't share data with the banks, especially Amex. Amex is very sensitive. Although before, Jeff, last summer, you know, with those Hilton bonuses, the 12x uh, bonuses on some cards at grocery stores, those were uncapped. And we thought, well, you know, when, when we heard millions of points clawed, millions of Hilton points clawed back for these uncapped bonuses, we thought maybe that was going to be the extent of it. Now we're seeing these cap bonuses, like you said, 25000 in spend getting pulled back. I don't know what the future holds, Jeff, but uh, it ain't good. The rat team hates us. I know. I saw that high cap of the $25,000 in spend, and I immediately thought, nope, nope, nope. I'm not touching that. Yeah. So hopefully yeah. not too many people that we know got caught with that. In other news, the big news in the points world, we've seen it from a lot of people, is that Curve Card is coming to the U.S. Everyone says Curve Card is finally coming to the U.S., but when you look into it, there's actually no specific date for when it's coming. But they have announced that they will be coming to the U.S., and you can join the waitlist. The cool thing about the Curve Card is 
that it's kind of a, a one card for all your cards thing. It's almost like your Apple Pay or your Samsung Pay in that you can load a bunch of different cards onto your Curve card and then you can choose which card you're using for your purchases. It looks like a regular credit card. It has a chip, it has contactless payment, and you can link Visa, MasterCard, Discover, or Diners cards to it. You cannot link Amex cards at this point. So you can change which card is active when you're making your purchases, and you can actually change the card for each purchase up to 30 days later. So that's huge. If you have one card linked and you make a purchase at a hotel and you realize, oh, I would have gotten more points if I used this other card, you can go back into your account and change which card was used for that up to 30 days later. So it could be a, a game changer. You could have to carry one card for several of your different cards and have access to many of those cards that are normally sitting in your sock drawer and earn some extra points. It's a pretty cool card. I'm pretty excited about it. A couple of things I think about this, uh, Jeff, uh, maybe in no specific order. Number one, if you're traveling, uh, you could, I mean, you know, obviously for fraud it may change, but when you're traveling, you could almost carry one card with you. And then once your trip is over, just change certain cards, what you want them to be charged on, right? Uh, number two, there's, w with the ability to change up to 30 days later, there's zero excuse for not getting a bonus category on all spend, right? Because uh, if, if it comes up as not travel, not dining, not gas station, not grocery, you could put it on a double cash or an Amex uh, Blue Business Plus if they ever take Amex um, and or CFU or something like that. Get 1.5 or 2x on everything. And then if it does code as grocery, gas, dining, travel, you can put it on your favorite uh, card to get the highest amount of points uh, for those. So both of those are wins in my book. More importantly, Jeff, once this is active and you sign up and get on the wait list, you get a bonus 1% cash back for your first six months on all purchases. So when you do the math, if you add this to a double cash, for instance, you get 3% cash back, 2% from the double cash, and then one for the curve card bonus for the first six months. My only question is, how quickly do we get shut down in that six-month period? I don't know. But I plan on getting it, and I plan on using it a lot. I think they have to assume people are going to use it for most of their spend. Oh, we're going to make it hurt. I'm not sure. The other cool part about this card is that there are no transaction, I mean, no foreign transaction fees for it. And that can get around some of your cards like the Double Cash that do have foreign transaction fees. So if you're traveling and you're somewhere international and you use your Curve card, you will have no foreign transaction fees, even if the purchase is going to your double cash, which would have had foreign transaction fees. So a great way to get around it on those cards that you normally don't travel with because of those foreign transaction fees. And if you're interested, we will put a link to sign up and get on that wait list in the show notes. So you can hop on there. We do, it's not a an affiliate link but they do it in a strange way in that everyone who signs up under your link drops you by i think a hundred in the waitlist queue so the more signups we get the earlier we can get the card so obviously once you've signed up tell everyone you know about it but we will have a link for you for listeners that want to sign up for that take a look for that and sign up and we would appreciate it 
And that's it for the credit card news this week. Credit card heavy, so we'll move quickly through hotels. Jeff, all of the weird stuff with Chase this week and their and their and Amex clawing points back. There was really, really good news in the hotel space, specifically Hyatt. Uh, Hyatt announced they were acquiring Apple Leisure Group. I believe, don't quote me on this, I'm bad at math, I believe it was a 2.7 or 2.8 billion with a B dollar deal. Uh, It was like double or triple, quadruple maybe. Again, I'm bad at math. Let's go with quadruple the cost of the uh, hotel acquisition uh, two years ago when they acquired the Alila properties and a few others. So this is a massive massive addition for Hyatt. It's adding a hundred luxury properties to the Hyatt portfolio, including um, resorts you may have heard of, Secrets, Dreams, and Breathless uh, here in the Americas, Mexico, Caribbean, uh, Central America. Uh, And the good news is it's supposed to close by year end, sometime in the fourth quarter. So by, by early Uh, 2022, we should be able to book and stay at these new Hyatt resorts. One of the interesting pieces, Jeff, uh, I don't spend a lot of time at all-inclusives in the Caribbean and Mexico. A lot of people do. Uh, I'm hopefully going to a Hyatt uh, Zalar for the first time this fall uh, if uh, Delta doesn't ruin those plans. But a lot of people love those all-inclusives, and it's great to have more options, and they're going to add a ton of those in the Caribbean, Central, and Central America. But even more importantly, I think, for most of us, um, I saw that this will double the Hyatt footprint in Europe. And that's amazing because if there's one drawback to Hyatt from people that aren't um, fully on board with Hyatt or Hyatt loyalists that have some complaints, it's that the footprint is not large enough. And when you double your footprint uh, on a continent uh, and, and Europe specifically, through one acquisition, that's a really, really major win. So Hyatt has really been pushing into the luxury market. It used to be you could just stay at a Park Hyatt. There were a few around the world. That was your luxury end of Hyatt. Then they moved in and picked up the SLS hotels. They've picked up the Alila hotels. Now picking up these Apple Leisure Group hotels. They're really growing that high-end luxury market for Hyatt customers. And with points, you can get them at a very reasonable price. So it's a great move for Hyatt for those of us who like to stay in very nice places and enjoy and relax when we travel. I'm a big fan of this deal. Can't wait to see those hotels showing up on the Hyatt platform. Agreed. And you know, uh, you hit the nail on the head for, for this acquisition for points and miles, folks. When you talk about luxury and Hyatt, it's a win-win for, for us in the world travel space because we're getting these super nice luxury hotels for minimal amounts of points, and we're literally staying there for free. Would we be as excited about these hotels if we're talking about paying, you know, seven fifty dollars or $1,000 a night for them? Probably not, right? But when you can sign up for one card, like a Chase Sapphire Preferred, for example, and get four or five nights at these luxury all-inclusives for free, it's a no-brainer. And that's why we're so excited, because not only is Hyatt expanding into these luxury hotels so aggressively, but they also, at least thus far, knock on wood, have retained excellent uh, value in their award program. Yes, so this week, happiness in Hyatt for the hotels. 
three H's. And Hyatt is the only hotel news of significance this week, so now we move on to airlines. Jeff, this week, Singapore Chris Flyer program launched a new family pooling program where you get a bonus of 500 miles for each account of a child you link to your account before August 31st. Yeah, they want to get people involved in this and get people set up to transfer miles. The problem with this program is there's a cost to transfer miles to the people in your family group. So the cost is either $5 or 500 miles per 5,000 transferred. So it's a decently high cost for sending miles to family. I don't know why you would do that. I guess if you need to top off an account for an award flight, if you have some orphan miles in a kid's account, then you may want to do it. But when I first read this, I saw they launched family pooling and I was like, oh, great. And then I got to the part where they're going to charge you to do it. It's just, I mean, it's not that great. Will I sign up my kids for Chris Flyer accounts and link those accounts to get 500 miles for each one that I link? Absolutely. Will I transfer miles after that? Probably not. Exactly. Two things here, uh, and you touched on uh, one of them. Number one, if your child is old enough to fly on a plane and that could be minutes, hours, or days old, sign them up for their own frequent flyer account. There's no cost to you, and they can start accruing miles, airline miles, as soon as they have a revenue ticket, so probably once they're no longer a lap infant. Um, but number two, don't pay to transfer miles. Simple as that. I mean, there's exceptions to every rule, but if, if you need to uh, top off your account, you can transfer in there. Uh, you can book for someone else from an account. So if your child has a bunch of Singa Singapore Chris Flyer points and they're not going on the trip, for example, you can book yourself or your spouse or a friend from their account. So sign, sign up everyone uh, that's paying to fly so they get frequent flyer miles, but don't pay to transfer miles. It's usually money poorly spent. In other airline news this week, Spirit Airlines still struggling to get back. They had a system outage, uh, I think it was a week and a half, two weeks ago at this point, and they are still struggling to get back from that. They're canceling a few less flights, but we're still seeing a lot of stranded passengers. And we're not going to get too deeply into this because we talked about it last time, but if you're flying Spirit or you're booked on Spirit, have a backup plan because they don't have a lot of planes going to a lot of places. And when they cancel a whole bunch of flights, the planes aren't where they're supposed to be. So they can't fly their next flights. And it just snowballs into more cancellations and delays and people getting stuck places. So Spirit Airlines, eh, you might not want to book any tickets with them until they get this all straightened out. This week, Jeff, I was on Google Flights. I saw a round-trip flight for Labor Day weekend to a destination I wanted from BWI, nonstop both ways. $57 round-trip. Did I book it? Nope. I thought long and hard about it. I, I was at the booking page ready to hit it. I'm like, nope, nope, you cannot sucker me into buying this spirit. $57 round-trip, two weeks out on a holiday weekend. I will not do it. So... I managed to close my computer and not do it, and I recommend at least for now that everyone else do that. They have a whole host of troubles. I can't imagine the problems they're going to have Labor Day weekend if they haven't got things cleared up by then. It's just <laughs> going to be a hideous mess. Yeah, absolutely. 
That's the airline news for the week to general travel. No surprises here, Jeff, but it is now official. The federal mask mandate on public transportation, buses, airlines, airports, uh, trains, etc., has been extended to January 18th from September. So um, not a surprise again, especially with the rise of the Delta variant cases going up, but it is now official. Uh, we're going to be wearing those masks on trains, planes, and uh, in airports through early next year, if not longer. And if you are wearing masks and if you're traveling, we've seen some stuff in the past few weeks about people saying, oh, I'm eating, I'm drinking, and they have the mask off and they just keep taking sips and keep the mask off for the whole flight. You may think you're being cute doing that. Don't do that. There's a reason that you're wearing the mask. There's a reason that they're asking you to wear a mask. Just follow the rules and take the mask off when you get to your destination. That's my little uh, soapbox that I'll stand on for this episode. (laughs) So masks, masks, and more masks. I wouldn't be surprised to see them coming back in a lot of places of business also as we get into the fall. Germany has taken steps with the increase in cases and is now only allowing vaccinated Americans in. Uh, You previously could get in with a negative COVID test, even if you weren't vaccinated. Not anymore. I would expect to see more of this throughout Europe and throughout the world, again, as we see cases rise going into the fall here, especially as schools start here in America, we're going to see a lot of spread. So be on the lookout. If you have trips booked, you may see things tightening up or closing up. Get your vaccines so you can still get there if they're still going to allow vaccinated Americans in. And with all the negative news for the week in general travel, there is a little bit of good news. We are seeing a lot more flash sales. Uh, that happened this week. Delta specifically had round trips to Mexico for as cheap as 10,000 points. Um, And uh, we've seen cheap fares this week as well. There was DC to LAX or to Portland for under $200. There was an airfare, I think, on uh, Tuesday this week, Jeff. I saw BWI at Salt Lake City for like 32 bucks round trip on American. Um, I did not book that. I heard most, I think, were canceled, but some apparently survived. So while travel is, you know, kind of sort of grinding to to a halt from its peak over the summer, it looks like as we as the Delta variants getting worse, numbers are rising, people are starting to pull back on travel a little bit. If you are vaccinated, if you feel safe traveling and you have the opportunity to travel as schools open, there are some deals to be had. And like we said, Delta round trip Mexico for 10,000 sky miles or under $200 uh, round trip DC to LA or, or Portland, Oregon. Those are fantastic deals to be on the lookout for. Yeah. So expect more of that going forward as travel slows down, especially into the fall. We're going to see a lot of lower prices the same way we saw this spring as they were trying to get people to start traveling. And that's all we have for this week with our updates. Hopefully we hit all the important ones. If not, be sure to let us know and we'll keep an eye out better for next week. But we'll be back next week with more updates of travel, credit cards, airlines, hotels, and anything that gets you around the world. Well, we hope you had as much fun listening to Stu as we did talking to him. As long as he keeps making videos that tell me great places to eat and drink, I'll keep watching them and making my trip planning a little bit easier. He really does put in the work to find some outstanding spots. 
All of the important points and links for things we talked about during our conversation will be in the show notes, so you can pick up anything that you missed the first time through. The easiest place to find those notes is at milesandpints.com. Thanks so much for listening to Miles and Pints, the travel and beer podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe so you can hear all of our new episodes as soon as they're released. Tell your friends and family about us so they can enjoy the show too, and please take a few minutes to leave us a review on your favorite listening platform. In between episodes, you can get more travel and beer content by following at Miles and Pints on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. You can also stop by our Facebook page at facebook.com slash milesandpints. And that's all we have for this episode. Until next time, we hope you'll find yourselves a little bit of travel, a little bit of beer, and a whole lot of fun. Journey, it will be great.